0: This is Luke chapter nineteen, verses twenty-eight through forty-four. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called All It, he sent two of the disciples saying, "Go into the village in front of you. Whereon entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here." If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. "'Teacher, rebuke your disciples.' He answered, "'I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out.' And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, "'Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes.' For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Grass withers, flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So, because of the systematic way that we have been working through the Gospel of Luke over the past, believe it or not, couple of years, we started this series in Luke. I looked it up just to check and see back September fourth of twenty sixteen. So, in a few more months, and we'll be we'll be at three years. We won't be finished, I don't think. We we took some breaks. We haven't been doing Luke straight. We took some breaks here and there, but. Because of that reason, taking these small chunks and small sections as we go through the narrative, we've lost some of the narrative impact of the story. If you were to sit down and read the Gospel of Luke in one sitting, it's doable. You can do it, take you over an hour, but sit down and read through the Gospel of Luke, you kind of get more of the narrative pace of what's going on in the Gospel. We've lost some of that because, as I say, we've been working at this for over two years. But try to get the impact of of this moment as a as a big reveal moment that you often see in movies or TV shows, you know, to, to think about this is this this is the stage when the hero who you've kind of always known about but has kind of stayed back in the shadows finally is revealed as the hero. Or, or the moment uh, where the team, if you're watching a sports movie and they've kind of had their struggle and all of a sudden the team pulls it together in the end of the middle of the fourth quarter and they start making their comeback and the team finally shows up. You know, you all know those momentous turns in the narrative, right? Or maybe, maybe more uh, for some of us, it's the moment where, where uh, Joanna Gaines says, are you, are you ready to see your fixer-upper? Anybody know that one? That's you know the, the big reveal moment. And they pull it back and there's the, the turning point to see all that's gone on. Well, this is what's going on this morning. This is a big reveal of who Jesus is. We're entering this morning into a, a pivotal turning point in the gospel of Luke and of Jesus' life. He's now beginning his final week of life before his crucifixion. All that has happened up to this point, is leading to this final week. And to show you that, I want you to go with me a few places in the Gospel of Luke. Turn back in the Gospel of Luke to Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. This is only six chapters back, but you see, Jesus has started this mission towards Jerusalem. This is Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 31, page 1038 in your pew Bible. It says this, at that very same hour at that very hour some Pharisees came to him and said to him get away from here for Herod wants to kill you and he said to them you go and go and tell that fox behold i cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and on the third day i finish my course that's him just saying listen you go tell Herod it's not a compliment when he calls him a fox he's It's a little bit big, but he's saying, I do what I want to do. I cast out demons. I perform cures. I do what I want to do. And the third day, I will finish my course. Nevertheless, he says, verse 33, going back to the text, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem The Pharisees trying to encourage him to take off, to leave, because Herod's seeking to kill him. But Jesus cannot be easily thwarted or or, 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 or taken away from his purposes. He will go where he needs to go, and he will return to Jerusalem when he wants to, to fulfill his mission. Look back at Luke 18. Go closer to where we are this morning. Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 34. This is page 1043 of your pew Bible. Taking the 12, Luke eighteen thirty one, And taking the 12, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. We see this divine determination from the mouth of Jesus. I'm going to Jerusalem. There's this tension building. I'm headed to Jerusalem. And it's important to see this intentionality here of Jesus because there's a, there's a bit of a, there's some interesting statements that almost conflict sometimes with what Jesus is saying here. Don't put your Bible away. I want you to look back as well at Luke chapter 5. Go further back. And this is a question I often get when we go through a gospel of this. It's sometimes called the messianic secret. That's how it's kind of said, the messianic secret. But Luke chapter 5 Verse 14, this is during this cleansing of this leper. You can read the whole account there. But verse 13, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one. Jesus wants him to be quiet, Tell no one. Go, show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But then we see in verse fifteen, report about him goes abroad. There is this messianic secret. Turn back to Luke chapter eight, verse fifty-six. Another place we have this healing of the woman with the issue of blood it is in the middle of the healing of Jairus or Jairus's daughter, however you want to say that. He the, the daughter gets healed. Verse fifty-five. Her spirit returns after Jesus says, child, arise. Verse 55, her spirit returned. She got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. 56, Luke eight fifty-six, And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So we got we have this building narrative Jesus knows he's going to Jerusalem but be quiet about who he is one last place Luke chapter 9 verse 21 I just want you to see this for yourself building some tension here Luke chapter Luke chapter 9 verse 21 he, this is after Peter's confession at Caesarea Philippi who do other, who do people say that I am some say Elijah some say Moses well who do you say that I am Peter says you are the Christ of God and verse 21 Of Luke chapter 9. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. And he gives us the reason this time. Saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. After this last command, he tells them why he wants them to remain quiet about his identity. There is an appointed time for all of these things to come together. There's a climaxing moment. There is a a pivotal, a chief moment that is coming that they are to remain quiet until this moment comes around. And today, this passage in Luke 19 marks that moment where Jesus has been quiet and telling people the crowds would gather together to try to make him king, and he'd slip away. The Bible talks about he'll just kind of disappear, he'll walk through the crowd. I don't know how this mass of people, and he just walks through the crowd and gets away and avoids their, their desire to put him forward as king. He's been hiding and avoiding this kingly uh, entrance, this kingly recognition. But t- today in our gospel text, Jesus is no longer hiding. Whatever you may conclude for His reasoning to stay quiet, all of that's gone away now. Jesus is no longer hiding. Jesus is no longer saying, "Be quiet." The time for the conflict between His kingdom and the kingdoms of this world have come, because we've been working as we've been working through this gospel it's become clear to me just just trying to generalize and summarize and get main ideas out of this passage passages it's become clear that the desire of Luke to just is just just get us to see Jesus for who he is all of these narratives all these events the the miracles the teaching all of these things going on are just to get us to see Jesus for who he really is in its essence, this narrative is, is written down so that we will see the incredible and visible reality of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not some spiritual monk hidden off in a room somewhere that we create theories about what he was and what he was about and what he taught. Jesus is a visible Savior. Jesus is a visible character. He was hidden, yes, for a while, but now he puts himself On display so that the nations, the world, can look back and remember this man who was. Jesus was this king who enters, who comes into Jerusalem. These things were done in the open so that you and I could hear today, even just from a historical perspective, the historical account. "...of this man who marches into Jerusalem." He does this so that by seeing the King and by the awakening of the Holy Spirit, we would believe in this Christ as King. This is one of the few narratives. It's found in all four Gospels. So if you want to go home and do a little extra reading, Matthew chapter 21 has it, Mark chapter 11 has the triumphal entry, and John chapter 12 all have this uh, narrative of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And the narrative begins with this errand, right, for the two disciples. They're to go and find this colt, and this, they're, they're marching up the backside of the Mount of Olives. They can't see Jerusalem yet. It's mountainous in this area. You go up and down, and Jerusalem will come into view, and then you'll go back down into the valley and come back up to see Jerusalem again. But he sends these disciples ahead to, to get this colt. It's a young colt. Never been ridden on. We get more of the information from, I believe it's the gospel. Yeah, the Matthew, it's actually a mother and a colt. It's two. There's a donkey. There's a mother and a colt that they go and get. Luke just mentions the colt. But they go and get these animals. And Jesus knows you're going to show up. I know where the colt's going to be. He's going to be tied up. You're going to untie it. And then someone's probably going to ask you, what are you doing? And you'll say to him, the Lord has need of it. And then they'll let it go. And it goes down. Exactly as Jesus says it's going to go down. Now, there are many speculations by the commentators that I read as to how this happened. People come up with all sorts of explanations and reasonings but of, of how this event occurred in the way that it did. But it seems like the gospel writers just want to include it just so we can see and have an understanding that this is putting on display the omniscience the, the all-knowing, the knowledge of Christ, the supernatural knowledge that he's able to know where this donkey is going to be tied out. The owner's going to be around and ask you about it. And this is the answer that's going to let them give it away and, and, and release this donkey to you. He knows all things, even locations of donkeys and colts and owners' objections. And it goes down just as Jesus says it would. So they bring the colt back. It's an interesting narrative, but we're moving on. They bring the colt back. They put their cloaks upon the colt, and then they set Jesus. It's specific in the way that it says this. Jesus doesn't sit upon it, but in the same way that, like you see, a, a coach who would who would lift up a, a, the, at the end, players have lifted a coach at the end of a, of a big win. They take Jesus and they lift him up and they set him on this donkey, and they. At once, they put their cloaks upon it because Jesus needs a saddle of some type. He's a king coming in. They, they put their cloaks on him. They also take their cloaks off and begin to lay them down on the ground in front of him so that as the donkey comes along, they walk on the cloaks. And we learn from the other, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John all record the cutting off of branches, laying them down. That's why we have Palm Sunday, which is in a few weeks. But this is that's when we have Palm Sunday. Actually, it might have happened on Monday. Like, I hate to burst your bubble. It might be Palm Monday, but we're here on Sunday, so we celebrate Palm Sunday. But anyway, this is going on. There's all this imagery going on. It's to be recognized as a fulfillment of prophecy they may not have seen it them but but John and Matthew both recognize this in their gospel narratives if you look back with me to Zechariah chapter 9 now Zechariah is pretty easy to find because Zechariah Malachi ends the Old Testament so Zechariah is just the second from the last book in the Old Testament so if you go to Matthew go back to Malachi go back to Zechariah Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 Matthew and John both quote this and, and this event as a fulfillment of this prophecy in Zechariah nine nine, saying this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey." So hundreds of years before this event is occurring, there's this, there's this prophecy that the king, the one who's bringing salvation, is going to come and he's going to be mounted on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And this is exactly what happens. Jesus isn't hiding at this point. He's putting on full display who He is. He wants the world to see the King is entering into Jerusalem. And as He continues writing along, the rejoicing of the disciples, they just get overwhelmed. They begin to sing, right? Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. We typically would quote on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, He saves. We would say that. The other gospel writers have Hosanna. They were a crowd saying, Thing, says lots of things they're, they're saying Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord that's actually a quote from one of the Hallel Psalms Psalm 118 verse 26 you can look that up later but this is just this all this messianic uh, imagery coming together of the king entering now if, if, at this point if you've been following the narrative of Luke this is when you expect Jesus to tell his disciples guys be quiet, you know? Don't 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 tell anyone this is going on. This is what he's been doing, right? We looked at these passages. It's why we walked through them. So you know I'm not lying to you. All along, he's doing these miracles and he's saying, Shh, don't tell anyone about this. Keep quiet. It's not my time yet. He's been saying that all along. So here, surely, when they start singing his praises, isn't he going to quiet them down? It's what you'd expect if you've read through in a sitting of this narrative. But it is not what he does. And in fact... When the Pharisees try to tell him to, to, to get his disciples to quiet down, Jesus does the exact opposite, saying that if, if, they, if they stay silent, the rocks are going to cry out. He's, he's saying that their, their praise, he will not tell them to be quiet because their praise must happen. He is this king who's receiving this praise as a king who has come. Now, there's a couple interpretations, ways you can look at this. Some people say that if these people stopped singing praises to God, the rocks would start singing praises. Nature itself would start singing praises to God, which is kind of cool to think about. And that might be what's being communicated by Jesus there. If, if they aren't singing praise, the praise of this king is so deserved that if they're quiet, rocks are going to sing. Maybe but it also, I read this this week, I, th- I never looked at this before, but it's possibly a reference to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 11, where the rocks of the city cry out against the people of God because they have not recognized God and his doing. And this, the stones crying out in that passage is judgment. And so Jesus could maybe be saying, if they don't sing praises, the rocks are going to cry out judgment that they didn't do what was right. But either way, Jesus is affirming and receiving praise as this king who has come. There are still those who reject him. The disciples, the Pharisees tell him to rebuke the disciples. And so They 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 are those who see all of this going on, but yet they don't really see. They see, but they don't see what's going on. It's so upsetting. They're rejecting to Jesus that we verses forty one through forty four, as he crests the hill there and then sees Jerusalem laid out before him. It brings him to weeping. This is a guttural, just grieving. Over the city of Jerusalem, that they would not know. They do not know this King that has come into their presence. You can imagine him cresting that final summit, and there the temple is laid out, and all of the city of Jerusalem. They talk about how beautiful this city would have been to to crest the mountain and see this over the top of the Mount of Olives. This vision Jesus would have had numerous times. Uh, in Luke two forty one, we we read about. Um, uh, Mary and Joseph were faithful Jews and they, every year at Passover, would go into Jerusalem. So Jesus has come into Jerusalem many times throughout his life. Well, in this final entry, his entry into Jerusalem, it brings him to grief, to just guttural weeping because he knows What is coming. He knows that though there is this celebration of who he is, his rejection is on its way. And the coming judgment of Jerusalem, therefore, is on its way as well. It's interesting to look at the history and how Rome does come in and sack uh, Jerusalem 70 AD. And it kind of happens just like Jesus says it's going to happen with these ramparts, these barricades. It's fascinating to study how Rome attacked things by, actually they're really good construction people. It wasn't so much good armed hand to hand fighting. They built barricades and, and stopped cities up. That's how they fought was by being really good at construction. And they come in and Jesus makes this prophecy that they're going to be hemmed in on every side and, and you and your children within you and they will not leave one stone upon another. They, they obliterate the city of Jerusalem. Jesus knows this is coming. So it makes us stop and ask. Why is Jesus doing this? Why is he going through with this march into Jerusalem? He could easily disappear. He knows he's going to judgment. He knows he's going to the cross. He knows he's going to this rejection. Yet he enters in as king. It's, 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 the, it's the fueling of the fire. That these, these leaders, Jesus is really pushing the line. Finally, he's coming out and, and letting him be praised as God by his disciples, as the Messiah. He's pushing this. Why? When he knows what's coming, he could easily disappear, go unnoticed, walk back through the crowd again. It would be in keeping with his humility all along. But why now is he okay with being made much of? Well, I could think of two reasons. The first reason why he's okay with now all of this going on, Jesus is okay with being made much of and receiving worship because it is how he's going to accomplish his mission to save sinners. In keeping with Luke 19.10, there with Zacchaeus, he has come to do what? To seek and to save the lost. This means the accomplishing of that mission is going to be through the coming suffering and death for the sins of his, of, of his people. And this work begins by pushing these leaders to their breaking point. They've gone beyond the point that they can stand for this man to exist any longer. He's tearing apart their Jewish faith. He's a threat to them. So this mission that he has must be put on full display. So that the world will know what has happened. That this Christ, that this event has happened in history, this man has marched into Jerusalem. He was received. He accepted the praise. Hosanna! Save us! Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace and prosperity to to his people. I mean, all of this praise coming to him, so that we would know the King has entered, and it's how he also stirs up the animus and the hatred towards him, so that the mission will be fulfilled they will get sick of him. It's a week away. Coming Friday, Thursday night, Judas is going to have sold him out, and they're going to hang him on a cross. We're 5 days out from his crucifixion. Why does he one reason why he lets this public display happens? This is how he's going to accomplish your salvation. Is by going on full display. But the second reason I can think of is maybe even more important. Than your salvation. Whoa, Darren. That's, that's the second reason, maybe even more important, Jesus is okay with being made much of and receiving worship because he deserves it. He deserves it. This is the King. This is the one who created everything. This is the one that through him nothing was made that was made. If it's made, It was made through him. This is the creator of the universe who has entered into time and he deserves the praise of every single person there and every single rock and everything in creation. He's okay with accepting it because he really deserves it. He is deserving of their praise. One of the objectives that I try to be just... Laser focused on when we gather together is the goal of seeing Jesus as the one who truly is deserving of all of our praise. Seeing Jesus for who he truly is. This is God in human flesh. Christ is deserving of the worship of every man from everywhere, the creator of all life. Jesus is okay with being made much of because he deserves it. Worship is what he deserves which makes this week incredible, coming up in life of Jesus. We're so caught up in what we deserve. You ever, ever, you ever catch yourself saying that? Somebody slights you. I deserve better than that. You're at your job and, you know, I deserve, I deserve to be treated better than that. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. That's, I mean, that, if that isn't a common, ref- I don't, you're not listening. If you don't hear that about what we in our human nature are all caught up with getting what we deserve. Making sure that we get what we deserve. That's what makes this week incredible. Jesus is deserving of praise. And what does he do? He puts aside, by Friday, he's going to put aside what he deserves to give to sinners what they don't deserve salvation through his work. This king who's deserving of this praise, who knows he should get it, is okay with accepting it finally. He deserves your worship. He deserves the worship of this entire town gathered for Passover. He gives up what he deserves. No one takes my life from me. He says, I give it up of my own accord. He abandons what he... We get so caught up with what we deserve. Jesus gives up what he deserves so that all of us here this morning can get what we don't deserve. Forgiveness through the work of this Savior. He abandons what he deserves to give us what we don't deserve. Forgiveness of our sins. New life with him. Adopted into his family. That is what I hope we will all see with fresh eyes this morning. This king has come, put himself on display, late because he deserves every ounce of our worship. Gets crucifixion, death for the sins of his people, so that what we deserve, the punishment that we deserve, is taken away from us. The one deserving of all praise gives up what he deserves so that we who don't deserve his forgiveness can receive it. This is what we remember as we come to communion even right now. The worship deserving king gives up his body, pours out his blood unto death so that the undeserving sinner, you, me, could be rescued from our condemnation. For that, he's even, if you can imagine it, he's even more deserving. Even more deserving than the original praise as creator. He's creator and he... Manages through his humility to be the Redeemer to bring sinners back to himself. For that, he is even more deserving of our adoration, thankfulness, and worship today. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see this this morning. Help us to see the turning point that this is in this gospel, the unveiling of the kingship, the king. Riding into Jerusalem, receiving praise like he should. And yet we know, God, this is just the beginning of the week of his suffering. He's going to fulfill his mission of death on a cross for sinners like us. God, we want to rejoice this morning. Help us in the king who deserves all of the praise and the worship, forsakes what he deserves so that we, the undeserving, can receive forgiveness, new life in Him, through faith in Him. Open our eyes, God, to see that and increase our joy in it this morning, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.